right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sally here. Final Sunday recap of the year. Um, I have a feeling we might be doing a couple more pods before the end of this year because I'm guessing there's some news coming. But uh, assuming it's not, Sally here. DJ Pie is here. Hello, Mr. Pie Man. Hello, Sally. Good to be with you. Happy holidays, my man. Kevin Van Valkenburg is with us as well. Hello, KBV. How are you? Happy Sunday. Sally, as my guy Aaron Rodgers would say, it's been a long December, <laughs> and there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than the last. It's <laughs> coming year. I will, I'll bet anything that next year will be better. Actually, next year might be the, the most lame duck year. Right, we'll get into that. We'll get to all that. The, the No Laying Up podcast is, of course, brought to you by our friends at Titleist. Uh, this went a little under the radar last week. There's just too much going on. But did you guys see that there's a new uh, someone new joining us with the title of staff mm. bag uh, at, a, at a team event last week? Did you guys see this? Uh, I saw this at the at the ad shoot. I was lucky to see this up close in Jupiter. Right. No one's I asking could, for a behind the, the scenes big, thing here. I could see the big Swede showing off. Wow, his, why uh, don't you his break this news, DJ? Jeez, yeah, it was under embargo. You know, I respect oh. embargos. I respect the process. Like, but uh, like love the English journalists headed yeah. to the team. Um, if, if people don't know how early TC was on this, this was uh, this was contingent on us signing with Titleist a year ago. Was that they had to go get Ludwig? So um, <laughs> I'm glad that glad that got finalized. But you know, it's been in the works for quite some time, of course. But uh, TC called that one as well about six or seven years ago, I think it was. But uh, for the gearheads out there, if you are uh, one of those, he plays a Titleist Pro V1X golf ball, the TSR2 uh, nine degree driver. He switches between a T. MB two iron and a TSR three hybrid. I'm, I might be doing the same exact thing right now. Um, he's also testing the new T 200 two iron. Uh, that is what I just put in the bag and boy, let me tell you, I'm hoping I don't want to hype it too much. Cause I'm hoping there's not enough time, uh, uh, it, it, you know, for you guys to get one in case we have any, any competitions coming up anytime soon. But uh, he put the new T 100 irons in the bag last week, the four iron through pitching wedge, three Vokey SM nine wedges, the 50, uh, F grind. He's got a 54 S grind and he goes back and forth between the 60, uh, 60 degree, eight bounce M grind and the 60 V grind as well. So excited to have Ludwig on the squad and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get together for some content, uh, sometime soon, uh, which I think Pyman has just teased that maybe we already did that. No, he was actually, we did some other titleist content, but he was so deep into, uh, working with the fitters. He was getting, you know, he had just signed this deal and was, uh, he was not doing a lot of content stuff at the ad read. He was he was getting absolutely dialed with all of the things that you just mentioned. So uh, looking forward to to the results. I would also shout out not part of the ad read, but I would shout out our our big what's in the bag video that we did last week as well. I believe that went up on the YouTube channel. Just kind of a big, long, deep dive into what's in everybody's bag. Uh, so check that out at your leisure as well. All right, fair amount to get to this week. We're not going to lead with the PNC, guys. We're just not, all right? There's an, enough going on in the world of golf that I think probably takes precedent over what I assume to be Bernard Longer and his uh, grandson's uh, final victory. I did not, I didn't see the last hole, but I assume they didn't uh, blow their lead there with the scramble. But uh, it, it appears the PGA Tour and the PIF are headed towards a deal. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to reflect on the path that has taken us there. 
a little bit on John Rahm. There's an, the Mule Uprising is continuing and maybe getting legal, getting hashtag legal up in this bitch. Uh, big Tone not leaving. We got some uh, some rumors and some reports as to who might be taking over the color chair on NBC. Uh, we'll talk a little PNC, a little Q-School, um, and some various nicks and knacks. But starting at the top, a story on ESPN this past week said a multi-billion dollar deal between a group of well-known U.S. sports team owners and the PGA Tour is imminent as the tour still hopes to reach a similar agreement with Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Uh, this is what the sources told ESPN this past Friday. The agreement with strategic sports groups, which we talked about last week, uh, is a consortium of billionaire team owners that includes Tom Werner and John Henry, Arthur Blank, Wick Grousebeck, uh, and it would... Infuse more than $3 billion into a new for-profit entity, which is called PGA Tour Enterprises, the sources said. Um, they're also continuing talks with officials from the PIF, which is financing the rival Live Golf League. Uh, if a deal is reached with both Strategic Sports Group and the PIF, more than $7 billion might be infused into PGA Tour Enterprises, which would combine the commercial assets of the PGA Tour PIF and DP World Tour. Hi, man, is this a good thing? I think yes, probably on the on the whole. I mean, I think it's it's probably a step towards, you know, backing up four or five years here uh, when we we really started ramping up this podcast. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the problems can be traced back to the structure of the PJ Tour being fairly outdated. Right. And you see some of that with the mule uprising and, you know, kind of the uh, the tour kind of tearing apart at the seams almost over this idea of, you know, is this a commercial based entertainment product or a membership organization designed to provide as many playing opportunities for its membership as possible. And so it feels like this is probably the first big solid concrete step towards that changing and not only changing, you know, what, what 2025 might look like, but really just like changing how the whole structure of the PJ tour operates. And I think all of this kind of came from the June 6th uh, announcement about the merger between the merger. Don't call it a merger between uh, the PJ tour and PIF. Uh, I think this is the result of a lot of the players feeling pretty blindsided about that announcement and kind of saying like, Hey, if you were looking for money, uh, there's a lot of people looking to, to provide money. And so this kind of seems like it dilutes a lot of that, you know, what was announced on June 6th, as far as, Hey, it's going to be the PJ tour handshake deal with the PIF. Uh, and we two together are going to go forward and form a new golf league. And I think this kind of dilutes that down a little bit, uh, probably makes some of those players, you know, concerns and interests, feel heard and then probably still leaves room for the PIF to get involved in the way that uh, was originally kind of spelled out in the framework. So long answer as far as is it a good thing or a bad thing? But I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. That's for sure. What do you think, Sally? I think that's a wrap on the app. That's the whole situation. That's the whole <laughs> last several years all uh, all all lined up on one. Uh, I don't want to follow that. KVV, you want to follow that? You got anything to add on that? Yeah, let me stop you right there, guys. I don't care. All right. I just don't care. All right. Wake me up when the majors are here. I think I've had enough of this discussion. It's all still theoretical. I know these two reporters. I think if they're saying that a deal is close, Don Benetta, Mark Schlebaugh, that it actually really is. This is not some Twitter sort of rando throwing darts at a board and being like, see, look what I got. Like these are real big time people who have, uh, you know, a track record. They don't get things wrong. So that's great. I think for all the people involved who want to see things come back together, good for you. I just, you got to convince me to care again because 
Right now, I'm just, I'm 2024, baby, is all about the majors. That's just what I, my bad news, my approach is going to be. Bad news. The venues are not great next year. Outside. The venues are great, but at least years. the stakes are real. So, uh, the, in that report, it says more than $7 billion might be infused into PGA Tour enterprises. On this one, I, I, I want to pump the brakes on this one a little bit, not doubting any of the reporting here. I think I can kind of add up where they're getting to that number, but I don't think that's like what the initial, I, I'll probably phrase it wrong. I'm, I'm, Again, not a corporate corporate head, if you will, as much as I love the C-suite. But uh, that, that's, the, that's the amount that's been uh, potentially committed, but I don't think that's the amount that's going to be initially infused from, from what I've heard. That would, that would put the stake, uh, again, if there's like a, I don't know, I've seen this thrown around between a $10 and $12 billion valuation of the PGA Tour, that would put uh, the Strategic Sports Group and PIF as more than 50% owners combined. And I do not think from what I've heard that will end up being the case. I believe some of that money might be in some sort of line of credit um, in some capacity, but I don't think that's going to represent their actual uh, initial uh, ownership percentages. Um, again, just just saying, let's let's let, let that one shake out. Also talking to you guys about this this past week, it was very much just like a, you read that article, it says $7 billion and you're like, oh, okay. If it had said $2 billion, you just said, oh, okay, like whatever. Like just totally billions of dollars get thrown around now in golf and you don't even flinch at it. You don't even like try to make sense of whether or not it does make sense because so much shit has just defied all logic uh, leading up to this point. But um, I don't know. I, I, I refuse to believe things could get any worse or bottom out more than they have. So I feel like this has a lot of potential to be a good thing. And, and I would say, you know, listen, the, the devil you know is – sometimes better than the devil you don't right when it comes to to pro golf so who knows uh what we're we're getting in bed with here as as uh golf fans but also a lot of these people seem like pretty serious folks who run pretty serious operations and i think golf could probably use a little bit of that as we've we can probably uh, glean from the past three years of uh inmates running the asylum and uh all kinds of things just turning into a complete fucking circus uh it seems like probably having some more big sports business adults in the room seems like a positive as well and so you know I, i'll put that on one side of of the equation and on the other side you know i'm not trying to sound like a uh, revolutionary eat the rich type of person but like dog i don't know the last time the fans have been at the forefront of any of these decisions and i'm going to probably reserve you know i'm not going to hold my breath that all of a sudden uh the tv product is going to be overhauled the commercial load is going to be overhauled things are going to be built to be as entertaining as possible uh i'm sure blocky's going to be running around somehow <laughs> in all of this i'm sure dj khaled's going to be involved it's just you know once you when the stakes get higher, I would think from like a, a private equity standpoint, and when you do infuse all of this money in and, and you want to raise those stakes, it does mean that like, you know, I guess that's a positive and a negative. Things have to be run a little more, a little more seriously. And so I don't know what that's, I don't know what that's going to mean as far as what the actual product looks like. Kev, I fully, you know, support your, uh, your rights and your enthusiasm for the I don't fucking care. Let me know when it's 2025, you know, mindset. But, you know, I, we continue to to wait and see. However, it seems like dominoes are at least starting to fall as far as some of this stuff coming into focus. Did you, for the first time, I think you you made me actually consider, like, could it get significantly worse? Like, the Phoenix <laughs> experience. Like, I hadn't really considered, like, I don't know, DJ Khaled in the booth or, like, you know, 
just you know blocky playing in featured groups, like all kinds of things that they, these private equity people could hope to use to make money. So fingers crossed for that. I mean, I, I didn't really uh, I, I think about that dystopian future being a possibility. But worse, if it gets worse, that's like that's totally fine. Like it just becomes ignorable, right? Like it, it, I, the worst place to live is like teetering on the edge of like, ah, dude, it could get good this weekend i should watch and you get punched in the face on repeat if it gets worse you just like don't watch anymore like nobody's gonna watch if it gets somehow gets worse than this and and i guess what i would say is as far as the optimism would be the teams that are owned by like and the leagues that are run by the you know the guys who own all of these teams and properties like their main focus is on the actual product itself, right? Like you, when you are tuning into an NFL game or a baseball game or an NBA game or whatever, you're, you're tuning in to watch the actual competition and golf sometimes feels so fucking far from that, that maybe a dose of, Hey, what is your actual product here? And why does it suck? Seems like a natural step. One could have been taken a number of years ago, but maybe it takes blowing up the structure of the league and really reconsidering a lot of this stuff uh, in order for that to happen. So who knows, man? I was doing some reflecting this past week and I want to, I'm going to quiz you guys a little bit later. I want to run down some things, but I was kind of laughing a little bit this week of like, man, if you could like really, 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 really stretch things, I, I kind of could try to convince myself this week of like, huh, could the tour and the executives have purposefully tried to screw this up so badly so that they finally break free of this structure, like put, potentially made every wrong decision along the way to break free of the structure that holds them back from doing anything like, uh, you know, moving forward or, you know, positive. I was like, that's how far along we are in this. I'm like, dude, wow, this couldn't have gone much worse. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. Sally. That's interesting. I mean, so you've, you've had conversations with some of the people who make these kind of decisions. Like, do they seem like, you know, third level chess kind of masterminds who would like purposely tank their own product to be able to see a better day tomorrow. I doesn't strike me. Imagine pitching that in a meeting be like, all right guys, what if we just made this way, way worse? (laughs) (laughs) The only, I, I, the only conversation I think I've had with Jay Bonahan in the last like two years was at the players this year. And they were, you know, there was player meetings that week talking about changes and everything. And the one line he, he said to me that I always stuck with me was like, people hate change. It just almost sounded like defeated of like, we're trying to push some things through here and like, we can't get anything through here. So listen, is that an unbelievable stretch from that one line he said to the theory I just threw out there? Sure. But it's fun. Whatever. It's end of the year. We can throw some shit out here. But a couple other quotes within this uh, article that I thought were fantastic. Uh, This is about the ROM signing. Is it a source familiar with the negotiations said it was nothing more than a shot across the bow. It was a fuck you by Piff to the tour that they can grab anyone. Even the guy who was adamant about not joining $300 million is a rounding error to the Saudis. Their message was you want to keep fighting with us. Really? You want to keep talking to everyone and box us out. Good luck with that. That's their message. And this was, this was not me. I am not the anonymous source, despite the fact that that was oh. basically exactly what I was saying uh, on our last couple podcasts here. For all the uh, ROM, you know, six more years of of live glory uh, ahead of ROM, I think that's, uh, I don't know. I think th- there was a lot of quotes in this in this piece that seemed to uh, back up a lot of what we were saying on whatever that was. Last week's pod, last month's pod. Was that a year ago that we did that? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, who could say? Uh, continuing quote said, Yasser stood down for a while, but as he kept reading about all those other suitors, I think he just decided, let's go after the Masters champion. The guy who said he couldn't be bought for any price and name a price he couldn't refuse. The lesson here is if you have enough money, you can do whatever the fuck you want to in America. The Saudis have figured that out. Yasser understands that. 
continuing on, the major benefit of doing a deal with Piff is that they is so that they are not John Roming you to death. It isn't like the tour can get billions elsewhere. There are very deep pockets that want in. The tour doesn't really want to be in bed with the Saudis, but they have so much money, so much muscle, they can destroy you. That's what the ROM signing signaled. They get to rub shoulders with all these billionaire American sports magnets. It's a long game for them. They're not stopping with golf. They want a piece of everything. These quotes sound like they're coming from Avon Barksdale. (laughs) (laughs) They go again playing them away games, Jay Monahan. Money ain't got no spenders, only uh, ain't got no owners, only spenders. Owners, only spenders. That's right. Um, and if it sounds like I've shifted my tone on this, it is to- a total waving the white flag of defeat in terms of like maybe I was naive to think the PJ Tour could outrun the Saudis, but I see absolutely no path that doesn't include. If you want, again, my number one thing, if I've said this 50 times, uh, probably on the show, my number one thing is getting the best players in the world all playing golf together. And the only way to get that ever happening again, the Saudis have to be involved in whatever deal comes together, right? I don't understand the move to flirt with uh, flirt with suitors and and pursue deals outside of the PIF, uh, which has probably led us down even further down to the PIF, gaining more and more power. But the only way we're going to see good competitive golf is a deal with the Saudis. Do I still think the exact same things of everything I ever said about sports washing and the dudes that sold out to live a hundred million percent? Uh, but the only way to move forward here is uh, some sort of reconciliation. It's over. Wave the white flag. Yeah, here, here. Can I? Can we revisit some history here? This is a little, a quick pop quiz I have for you guys with twelve questions, uh, twelve decision points, twelve forks in the road going way back uh, several years. You can answer as quickly as you'd like, uh, or you can expand on any thoughts that you have. But I just want to, looking back at decisions the tour has made uh, over the last, going back three, four years, I want you to say if they were good decisions or bad decisions with with the benefit of hindsight, okay? Uh, number one, I'll start with bad you, Kevin. decision. Not, not, <laughs> some of these are some of these are very easy. Number one, not taking the meeting with Andy Gardner, Kevin. Seems pretty bad. Seems like uh, you could have, uh, you know, uh, set up your own type thing with without Saudi money uh, or with Saudi money at and, that time or with Saudi money at that time uh, and and perhaps uh, box these uh, things I, with. You know what? Especially bad, because I think if out of Andy Gardner was your guy, it would have given just enough like cover from the Khashoggi stuff. If that's what you really wanted to do and say like, oh, no, no, that's like there's some Saudi money involved in this, but it's really, you know, it's, it's these British guys who are into this stuff. So it, in the interest, big, dumb, bad decision. I, I totally agree with everything you said, but I think in the interest of fairness on that one, it's it, we've said this on the show a lot of times. But if you think, you know, we're going to keep saying the mules, but if you think the mules are having a hard time swallowing the pill right now as the fucking house is on fire. I can't imagine when everything's going so fantastic. They just signed a new TV deal. There's hundreds of millions of more dollars coming into purses each and every year for them to just walk into the boardroom and say, actually, we're going to blow it all up and we're (laughs) going to partner with these guys who have never done anything in golf would have been a tough sell. So, yes, in in hindsight, bad decision, uh, but I think also understandable decision from a, a pure like putting yourself in that moment at that time, I guess, perspective. 
And we said that at the time. We were like, listen, these people are not visionaries. Like they, the, everything, the trades are running on time. The money keeps rolling in the door. There's no possible way this Apple cart could get upset. There's no possible way it could, everything could go off the tracks. There's no way. Let's just keep going and collecting those paychecks. Uh, number two, Deej, starting with you. Not taking the meeting with Yasser back in the day before this all started. Yeah, I'm going to say bad decision. I'll just co-sign everything my, my colleague just said about the Andy Gardner. Uh, meeting but I, I will also you know reheat everything i just said about the you know I, I get why it didn't happen but in hindsight incredibly tough tough decision it's like what if jimmy dunn had taken a meeting with yasser and been like hey man like what if we just get you an augusta membership and you just like keep focusing on that premier league man like just you know we could do that but the exchange is like you gotta leave golf alone i was I jimmy was not on the board as of uh 2021 when this was allegedly uh, attempting you to know, jimmy could have made some some back to me roads there <laughs> i mean you know but could this all have been avoided if yasser just got his augusta membership a hundred percent uh i mean don't you think it's not like well, look it's not like mbs is like super into golf right so like he wouldn't give a shit one way or another if, if yasser was like yeah, we we decided that golf wasn't a wise investment for us, but we're going all in on the NBA. Like, MBS wouldn't be like, no, wait a minute, I think golf is a growth market. He'd be like, great, I'm gonna you know go back to torturing people, running the oil estate, like doing whatever it is I do. So, damn it. <laughs> Number three, introducing the PIP, the Player Impact Program, topping Ooh. off your top players. This is a good call, Kevin. First. I think yes, uh, even though the people who took the pit money still <laughs> left. I think it's possible that if you hadn't sort of <laughs> so many of them left. <laughs> but like what did you keep? I'm trying to think oh. of who might have. Did you keep like Finau? Uh, you know, did you keep? I don't think Scotty would ever left, but you know, who knows? I, I think probably. I mean, but I, it, did, it certainly did piss off a lot of people. But it kind of pissed off the kind of people who weren't going to get live offers anyway, right? So this could have been the easiest possible contingent to add in there. Like, hey, to collect this yeah. money, you got to stay on the PGA Tour. <laughs> <laughs> like we, gotta, we can't have you uh, become a member, not a, a member, not in good standing here. Like, we kind of need you to stick around here. Uh, listen, maybe there was some kind of legal constraint that that was you know made that not possible but man that seems like that would have been a good one to keep it in hindsight didn't bryson claim that he didn't get like his, he didn't he was so mad you had he to didn't complete, get a part of his pip thing. yeah you had to do like a charity thing and you had to do like two different things to do it and he, he didn't get half of it because he didn't complete his charity thing before he left for for live so that's why he's had to had to sue the tour it's personal can i can i say i'm gonna say bad decision on that one Again, I probably defended it at the time or, or probably saw the logic at the time, but ultimately is like just a total half measure, right? Of continuing to try to continuing to try to like duct tape all the holes in this broken system over and over and over and just playing whack-a-mole on all of these different stupid problems that were popping up. And it, it just as you look at it now is like I think even when you talk to the players, like I don't even I think even the top players don't like the pip and feel weird about getting money for being on tv more than other players and like the players who aren't getting money really fucking hate it just seems like a good way to uh, great it reminds me a lot of the early like fedex cup days where it's just like no 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 like you guys don't get it our math equation is perfect here this all makes so much equitable sense and it's like right but human beings think it's really fucking stupid is is kind of how the pip reads to me the total giveaway for the PIP over the last two years is something like 150 million, something like that. What if they had just given all that money to Phil and Tiger 
and basically was like, yeah, try to start a league without one of these dudes. Like, go right ahead. Like, we, Phil. Get this. They could have taken it and still gone. That's the bad part of it. Like, Well, you got it. Yeah. There, there's some contract law, I'm sure, that would have locked Phil down, at least until he... I don't know, put it on black in a roulette game or something. <laughs> I just, I don't even know how you do that. Like that would have been grounds for the membership to really get up in arms is if they just cut a check to those two guys without any, cause that's why the PIP exists the way it does is to make it look equitable or make it look like it's out of the tour's hands. And it's based on, you know, it's merit based. It's not, you know, basically it's designed to make it look like it's not meant to keep guys from leaving. Right. So unless you're paying Phil $75 million for like, showing up to a you know chipping clinic at he's listening he's listening <laughs> i don't know how you like literally get the money to them i think that's part of the problem yeah it, it is a good idea in principle bad execution of course again you had to actually lock the players down for this to have made any sense getting more money to your top guys did make sense but going from 50 to 100 doesn't seem to be popular with anyone i don't know if if that was necessary move but uh anyways next up did you go first threatening players with suspensions for leaving for live was that the right decision i'm gonna say yes i'm gonna say it was uh i don't think it looks great now especially if things are like gonna start to come back together anyways and maybe you can make the case that if they would have you know almost like let everybody jump uh so that you can like merge eventually anyways since it does seem like that's what like i don't think the piff wants to run a golf league i think they you know we've said that a hundred times on the show but i'm gonna say yes i'm gonna say that did probably stem the tides of like a, a whole swath of guys jumping and even like draw out the negotiations to where at least for a time the tour seemed to have the upper hand in the negotiations you can argue now that they probably don't uh but i th- i think the the suspensions probably help them retain that for a long time. Kevin. We- yeah, I think I agree. I think if you had no suspensions, like just everybody would have just bounced over and played whatever live events they could. The entire PJ tour would have been the running of the mules. And so, you know, I don't really know why anyone would have stayed around other than they wouldn't have fit in with their schedule or they didn't want to take a red eye to Jeddah or Singapore or whatever. But uh, I would think that the suspensions are the only thing, the guys who uh, you know truly thought about okay if i do this i might jeopardize my you know eligibility in majors and that's what really matters for me then i think that probably held on to at least some of the guys right and i agree I, and i separated out threatening players with suspension and actually suspending them like as two separate decisions but i still i agreed with both of them and i can't tell if it's just i still see people saying online that they should have been allowed to go play wherever they want and i can't tell if it's just like the most disingenuous comment you could possibly make even totally and completely ignoring the entire structure of the PGA tour and how that would have worked. It would have been a five o'clock free crack giveaway and everybody would have fled and it would have been a horrible, horrible move for the PGA tour. Next one. I, I think we can probably find common ground on this one. Invoking the nine 11 families on TV at the Canadian open. Do that's where you're good. Uh, I'm going to say, Charlie, I'm going to say bad. No, move I'm going to say first. Know if you want me to no, go first? No, I'll let me go first. I'm going to call that one bad. <laughs> I'm going to get out in front of this one, and I'll take any any barrel fire that comes from that one. But I, I'm going to say that was not the best decision. Yeah, nothing, nothing to add there. Bad, bad move. Just a few months later, the designated event model was that a uh, a good move made in August of 2022. I think a little bit TBD. Right. Like, I, I don't know that we, I would love to see it at full strength uh, for another year. It feels like it was still kind of, it, it does, it felt like it lost a lot of steam at towards the end of last year. Right. It felt like Phoenix and 
uh, some of the early ones were, were really, really fun and felt like bigger events. And then you got to, you know, whatever quail hollow and some of the others. And it was, it was pretty easy to just kind of look the other way or made it feel like a run of the mill event. So I don't know. I might, I might try to tap out of this one. I might, I might go no decision on this one. Maybe just too many designated events. Maybe if you just stuck with like, I don't know, four or something, that would have been, it's interesting. I think it was good for the fan. Uh, I think they were interesting. I got way more hyped about those events than, you know, slightly elevated events is how it kind of ran previously. I do just wonder, I mean, the tour had very quickly, uh, halfway through the year, ended up having to wave the white flag and say that we're on a path of unsustainability between the lawsuit and the elevated purse fees and not being able to re-up with sponsors, trying to pass those costs on to sponsors and not be able to get the money to say, um, I was I was in support of it because I had the one thing you cannot deny the tour is able to do is they can sell some shit, man. They can they can make that revenue come in, and uh, despite nobody watching it, they get dollars coming in the door. And I thought they could they could sustain it, and it turns out uh, they could not. So, and now we're seeing sponsors like walk away, like Wells Fargo, from something that is wildly unsustainable. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's weird. I think you know as I'm looking. F- forward here and just kind of trying to wrap my head around who's mad about FedEx cup points and who's, you know, going to be playing what events and just trying to like think through the whole landscape. The only thing I don't like about the designated events is I think you could almost argue it doesn't go far enough in just calling out that we're playing two different tours now. Right. I mean, there, there is a way to play in between those two tours. And I actually think one of the coolest things, it's so convoluted to actually explain to a normal human golf fan, but the whole little mini sprints in between designated events and how you can, you know, you can play good at the Palm Beaches Classic or whatever and play your way into, you know, whatever the next designated event is, signature event is, like that model is really, really cool. Um, I think it just has to almost start with, you know, just o- almost taking it even farther and saying, Hey, these are basically two different tours, and I think that would make a lot of the the indigestion of the mules uh, kind of, you know, I, I think that would quell a lot of that of just like now, listen, man, this is why these two things are are uh, set up the way that they are is because we're we're playing on two different tours. They're trying to treat them like the same types of events, but just one has all the good players and one doesn't is seems fucking stupid probably goes back to the structure in some way i think it all is probably gonna end up there but i think they should have taken like a blood oath in that delaware meeting where they all cut like a piece of their hand and then held hands and did like a you know (laughs) thing that basically said they couldn't break it like in a you know a mystery novel or something that would have been more impactful (laughs) was what was ron Ron would have been bound by him sorry was joaquin in that meeting was he the first one that jumped he was the only one up until ron that jumped out of that meeting so yeah cool guys i'm gonna go to the bathroom i'll be i'll be right back you guys do that (laughs) uh next up doing the uh framework agreement with the saudis june 6th i'm gonna say bad because you needed to involve like at least three or four players in this and basically tell them you cannot leak to anyone not to your family not to no laying up not to anybody else like you have to literally keep this as locked down as possible so that when we open this up to like a larger wider audience that the players don't have a complete shift it because you know what i don't think the framework idea the agreement was bad it was just that the players were so pissed they weren't involved that then they dragged it out for six friggin months i actually think that yasser was probably like hey we got a deal 
I'm ready to like move forward. Like let's, let's get this thing closed like fairly quickly. Like, and the players had so many warring factions amongst them and were so their pride was so hurt that now it got that they basically lost Rom because of that. Uh, and if they had sort of figured this out four months ago, Rom would still be a person who could play either on both tours or whatever. It wouldn't be quite as, you know, hit to his, I guess, word and reputation. So I, I know that's a convoluted answer. It's not a yes or no, but I think a yes, good idea, not executed well. I'm in the same boat. I, I think, Solly, especially with everything you you just said a minute ago there about the inevitability of this and, you know, how this was probably where all of this stuff was going to end up anyways. I think when you look at it that way and, you know, I know the framework was very scant on details, which was the the main complaint about it. We don't really know how the structure was going to shake out or what the safeguards were in there to kind of stave off like a basically like a hostile takeover or any any of that stuff. Making the best possible assumptions, it seemed like a good deal for the PJ Tour, and it seemed fairly, fairly close to like where we're probably going to end up anyways. But I'm with you, Kev, that I just cannot wrap my head around the idea of just not telling anybody. And I, this is not a rhetorical question. Like I've been thinking about it for six months now. What what was the benefit of not telling anyone? Was it purely like, oh, we can't, you know, we can't let the word get out that we're going to we're going to do a deal with the Saudis because like it might be a PR nightmare. Because otherwise, like that, that feels like <laughs> how because it went so it feels well. Like avoiding, it went really well. For it feels you. like avoiding the PR a, was great. Avoiding a raccoon and just driving to a fucking telephone pole, right? Like, <laughs> see, I, I, this, okay. I, the next one up on this list was going to be not telling the players about the deal. That that questions so were combining these into two. But look, look at how everything has gone in the last two years when players are involved in the decision making, and there's no uniform opinion about one single thing. Like, there's not one single opinion. That everyone's going to agree on like one you could not have communicated this in any way to players and it had not gotten out like there's 0.0 percent chance of that one and two like the second like, i think that there is a more likelihood that they the executives finally reached the decision reached the conclusion that we cannot win this that we're going to end up here at some point we might as well do it now while we're in the best possible negotiating position and like the chances of ryan brem and the mules like signing on to that which I'll, we'll get to here in a second was next to zero. Like, there's just no way you could have convinced 200 people to be like, you're right. It's time to make a deal with the Saudis. All these, all these dudes that have turned these guys down for tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially like you're right. Let's do the deal now. And uh, so that, that's the only part that I'm like, man, I don't see how the, there could have been any benefit, like telling people like you had to just be a pain sponge and just be like, all right, we are going to get, it's time to wave the white flag and do this. Um, so now doing the like going on TV and doing the whole thing and giving Yasser exactly what he wanted before anything's actually finalized. I don't really know uh, about, but anyways, there's three left here. Involving private equity in the negotiations was this a good move or bad move? It's, it seems. I mean, I guess TBD. We'll see what ends up happening or what shakes it out. I mean, I think that's probably a big reason of why they lost Rom. Right? Was like if if they would have just gone ahead and done the deal with the Saudis, then I don't think the Saudis would have poached, you know, one of their biggest, most visible players for leverage. But I guess you could argue that if things are going to end up, you know, well, the next one, the next one is flirting with PE groups outside of using the PIF. So there's, there's two things, right? They, they brought in 
outside investors won. And then the, some of those conversations led to potential deals without including the PIF, which is what uh, Yasser took personally to to go and, and poach ROM, which, again, using the outside PE groups, is, from my understanding, is a, a way of getting by uh, DOJ scrutiny, which obviously this was immediately scrutinizing. They're calling from I have, the Senate within a I month. I have one for you then, Sully. I, would you, here's yes or good or do you about it? Stripping the, the provision in the thing that said you can't poach each other's players. Because in retrospect, I would have just said to the Justice Department, bring it on. Like, we'll figure this out later. Like, don't, we're not going to, oh, how does it work? People do it all the time. You think the Justice Department isn't like, you think the Justice Department has enough funds to go up against the PIF? Like, the, we're, the, this works both ways, too. The PIF is a massive amount of money to be able to fight any kind of legal claim. Like, you could just basically tie that down for years in federal court. You can basically say, yeah, you know, we don't think it's a monopoly. You want to go toe-to-toe with us forever? Like, we'll just keep, like, fighting this as much as we can. Yes, the, I'm sure there's, you know, Justice Department people who are saying, like, well, they've just been rejected outright. But, like, I think I would have just called their bluff and said, like, yeah, we're not going to do that right now. You mm-hmm. would think we'll figure out the, you know, the monopoly part later. Hmm. I don't I think don't the, the Justice true. Department is the end-all, be-all of, like, saying, don't do this. And you just say, oh, okay. They wanted to appease them. They thought that it wouldn't happen. I'm sure Yasser was like, okay, we're not going to take your players. We want to get this deal done. So, like, I think they they kind of whiffed on that. I think, coming back to the original question, I think it, it'll probably end up being a, a good thing. I mean, I think just getting more voices in there probably probably ends up, you know, running it like an actual business rather than you know, the PJ tour with new financing feels like a, just a weird, you know, are the PJ tour getting an allowance from the PIF, uh, to, in order to like change its structure, just felt like a very weird thing. So hopefully this allows it to, I don't know, run a little bit more like a normal, a normal business. Hmm. I get the sense that with the antitrust stuff going on, the DOJ, the Senate hearing, like things probably felt a little hot under the collar, uh, for a lot of people involved in this <laughs> with, uh, uh, some emails, some emails that may have been, you know, involved in the discovery of all that to say like, all right, I don't know if we want to do a, uh, n- not on the PIF side, but on the PGA tour side to be like, I don't know if we want to do a, uh, uh, you know, stand up, stand up against the justice department for, for too long here. Cause we kind of need this deal to go through cause our tour is dying, but I don't know. That's, that's outside of my, uh, comfort zone of expertise, but um, any more on your list. Otherwise I got one, one for you. Finalizing okay. a deal with the Saudis. This is not even hindsight yet. It hasn't happened as of the time of us recording this. Finalizing a deal with the PIF for a, a new structure of golf. Uh, this is a future-looking one. Is this a is this a good call? I don't know that you have another call. That's uh, that's my answer. Yeah, kind of the only call. I think just to underline this, we've said it eighty-five thousand times, but I think that's entirely the ROM thing. Is like if you want to cut these guys out now, awesome. We'll take Tony Finau. Awesome. We'll take not my guy. Fee. Cheryl, you will we'll not take, take my guy. Fee Cheryl Hatton. We'll take, you know, whoever else just one by one oh, by looks. one. We're just going to, we're just going to take them all. And so I, it feels like that's kind of the only option. Yeah. I mean, I probably, I, I think I, I echo my honorable colleague, Mr. Pie here and say, uh, I'm not sure what else you do. Yeah. Uh, I don't think at this point, once you learned that players couldn't be swayed by any argument other than money, not like, protecting each other not protecting the tour that basically gave them the stardom in order to make this kind of money i think you just had to kind of be swallowed up or die you know I, someone was like why don't you someone said to me today like well the pj tour is finally like learning what like real competition is like i was like oh yeah 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 the pj tour should probably start like drilling oil wells to see if they can come up with some funds to you know compete in this fair market like, PJ I'm tour sure should that's le- a learn fair to competition yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Seems like a very they need to stop the avocado toast is what they need to cut out, right? You know, or make coffee at home. home. Yeah, that's right. Sorry so about your loss check in, your the, uh, in the avocado bowl uh yesterday, Solly, by the way. Yeah, it's all right. Mm, We're gonna be a tough. Uh mm, congratulate so, me for this semifinal win for Montana. That's over, right. Uh, Congratulations. North Dakota State. Slay the dragon there. Solly, I got one for you. Uh yeah. this was a great game, by the way. Keeping Jay Monahan as the uh chief of the PGA tour. <laughs> Don't say it too loud. I can see it on your face. He's, he's going to burst through your door. Correct. The obvious answer is no. The only, I think the only like w- reason I've advocated for him to keep his job over the last several months and even years now to this point is like the feeling of instability that has already been at the PGA tour. And when in doubt, like if, if he loses his job and you do, I don't know who takes his job, but whatever comes in, if I'm a PGA tour player and I see that level of instability, even, even if it's like the wrong guy to rally behind having a, uh, some sort of faith and some sort of known quantity in that in place to be able to navigate this is provided some value to the tour. Again, we just revisited all the individual decision points. And do I think like going 20, you know, like three for 12 and getting those right is not a good percentage and not done well. But I still think like firing him again, remember thinking back a year ago, over a year ago, like midsummer 2022, when like the Reed wave happened, the Bryson one, the Kepka one, how fast, like uh, if it was like quicksand, how fast it was falling. And I honestly thought it might flip 70, 30 uh, to like guys going to live. And it kind of stopped at a certain point. So where would the tour have been if it didn't stop? Do they stay for Jay Monahan specifically? I don't know, but like I just think like firing him, that would have been the time to do it, I think. And uh, at a certain point, they committed to it and said, We're gonna ride this all the way through. Do I think he should be like in charge of golf going forward when this is all done? Absolutely not, which might happen. I know if it wasn't that how the framework was originally set up. I know, correct. <laughs> so it's wild, man. I don't know. What do you think? I, I agree with a lot of that. I think that the tactics i I, gosh it's a complicated it's hard i feel like one of the biggest problems has been communication and the way that a lot of these messages were delivered both to the public and to players and i think some of that goes beyond jay specifically right and so I, i think just getting rid of him doesn't necessarily clean up all of that stuff uh is that fair you think and if I could simplify the question, like if what's what's what would I rather have happen here? What's an easier solution here? Like change the structure of the tour or fire Monahan? It's fucking change the structure, right? Like I, I this now his job is to navigate all of these while staying within the structure of the tour. But dude, that was a really really challenging job, and the stuff that like is is tv facing public facing did he do a good job of no like did they again invoking the 9-11 families going on television the communication the lack of communication to the public throughout all of this lack of communication to the players just the overall like vibe he put out going going out in public was like all wrong but again like i i, I don't think it's like sub in this and this goes entirely different throughout all this because it just seems it may have taken longer it may have happened faster but someone else in charge may have like led this thing off a cliff as well i don't know I guess we'll never know. We've talked at length about this, and then, and I, I think people's interest is probably like, whatever, man, Jay, no, Jay, whatever. But I, I still think the most interesting question in the whole deal about him is who would you have had replace him? Like, it isn't to me, it's not a binary like yes or no. It's like, well, what is the other option? 
And if you'd come, if someone could come up with a really good name at some point, was like, hey, this person could have strategically done things or rallied the troops to sort of fight this, you know, threat. Then I would listen to that argument, but I still no one has like a good name who's like this has been the person to tap. Whether it's from, you know, someone from you know the private equity world, the banking world, someone from another sport, someone you know from with a playing background. Like there is no great solution to this hypothetical question. So in the end, I'm kind of like punt. Like I, you know, yes or no? I don't. I don't know unless you have a better option. It, it's. I want to know what the replacement would be. It, and there's a reason why these replacements come from within at the PGA Tour is like, it's about running a member organization. It's not about running a business or running private equity, right? I mean, it'd be a lot easier if it was set up in a way to make sense instead of serving the 200 members. I mean, that's, uh, well, how would Fenchum have handled this? I, I was just thinking question. about him. Yeah. That's what, one of my favorite weirdest things is those two living next door to each other and Ponte Vedra Boulevard and just can you imagine you know seeing each other at the coffee shop now Yo, nowadays what, just like what do I do what tough do I do? draw buddy sorry <laughs> oh you want to hear about that time uh, I you know didn't lose any sponsors during the financial collapse again that was that was my version of this uh what's that the 9-11 families are 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 fired up against you oof yeah I read about that that's tough sorry but you wish you had a 22 year old Tiger Woods right now don't <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> Yeah, that would be pretty cool for you. Well, I'm going to mow the lawn, so I'll just I'll see you around. <laughs> I'm not going to mow the lawn. Somebody's going to mow the lawn for yes. me. <laughs> I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think a lot of the tactics early on, the like iron fist, you're not leaving, we're going to suspend you forever. Like, I think that is the Fincham playbook, right? I mean, I no. think he, I, I think he would have done a lot of that that same stuff. I don't know that. I don't know that Fincham was ever necessarily. I mean, I guess you could argue that. You know, he kind of squashed this world tour idea once, right? The first time around when it came up, but I don't think that was backed by just endless money the last time around. So I, I don't know that it's, yeah. I don't know what he would have done. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. That's, that's the thing too, is like, again, it can be an, for a lot of people listening, I'm sure easiest question ever should Monahan have been fired. Like the answer is yes. And I don't, I don't even like necessarily disagree with that, but again, I keep falling back on. Not only do you going up with a, a, an opponent that you are never going to beat or never be able to outspend, also held back by such a ridiculous structure uh, of a of like a business, like is just such a difficult combination. Like there, I'm not these answers were not easy. Like the, the, it was not obvious as to what could have been done to stave this off. I'll throw you. I'll throw one out there though. The, a huge part of the reason that Liv succeeded is because Mickelson was open to the idea, open to the argument. His whole beef over and over and over this year has been like, they wouldn't listen to me. I, I had all these meetings with them. I had these people lined up and Jay wouldn't take the meeting. Jay, it seemed like personal after a while. Phil was pissed over and over and over again. He felt like, you know, we don't get the percentage of revenues that other athletes get from their sports. And that's bullshit. There's, you know, all these reserve funds and they won't tap into what, whether, you know, some of that was total bullshit or not. Phil is convinced that he was right. I think like maybe you could have sort of kind of tried to bring your enemy close instead of pushing him away and basically being like, you know what? Screw you. Like, go do your thing. Like, I if the if DJ probably doesn't leave, if Phil doesn't leave, like Bryson doesn't leave, like all these people saw that as, well, this guy's a freaking legend. Like, he's going to give this thing credibility. That, that makes me more interested. If it was just like a bunch of bum European tour guys, the, the league would have never really had been an actual competitor. But you, oh my God, Phil Mickelson, like that, 
that was a huge freaking blow. And they sh- and at some point they just underestimated him as a like chaos agent. I think that they should have brought him in closer. I think, gosh, yeah, that that just from my my days at PJ Tour HQ, that would that would have been a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> like, sure you know, he's got a lot else. of good ideas. Uh, Mister Mickelson's <laughs> on line one. He's got ideas of how we can run things better. Uh, I mean, look, it, look at the U.S. foreign policy. Sometimes you got to bring in the bad actors in order to keep the worst actors in line. I was going to suggest your boy Kushner would have been a good one to fix fix this KVB. Mm, I think he maybe, could have been, maybe. been a good commissioner. I mean, it, look, but bring in Trump instead of having Trump. I don't know, buddy up in the Saudis. Give don't take take away Trump's tournament or whatever. Can right? I, I mean, I, who knows? They're all we're open to all kinds of ideas that I morally can't get on board with. Anything's on the table. Can I say something in in a vacuum here? Uh, this is to say nothing of this person's other comments. This is a true, you know, despite what you've heard, you got to hand it to him. Trump was the only guy like three years ago that was like, oh, yeah, just take the money. They're going to merge eventually. Like, just <laughs> like he, he kind of nailed it, man. I, I really hate to you hate to say it, but that that was pretty much exactly what happened. I would say it felt like with the, if I'm looking at how Phil has played all this and handled all this, like, look, you know, we're not paid a per- the right percentage. Like, that was a lie. Like, he's still like 78 lies and all this. If I, again, not knowing the answer to this, but if I had to guess, it was kind of like, um, all right, look, I won't go do this if like we stand up this endeavor thing, right? Like, uh, you know, but, but, but you got to answer by tonight. Let's, oh, like, hold on. Give us a second. Oh, Bob, guess I got to go to live. Sorry, we tried. <laughs> you guys didn't listen. Got to go to live. Got to do it. Got to do it. You guys, you didn't want to listen. Huh? You couldn't get this done in time. I got to go to live. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much how Masterful it felt like it went. He was never gonna run. He was never gonna get out, uh, let that money get away from him. That was always it. Was always gonna go this way. All right, that's the end of this game. That was a longer game than I thought. We got to. That was great. Games. That's a, that's a great way to a great way to frame it. I think just so it said the the big like disqualifying thing on the Monahan front would be like he should have taken those those early meetings and he should have had the vision of like what was coming. So Sally, I'm not arguing that like in the moment any of those were necessarily wildly the wrong calls other than the 9/11 thing. I- I'm not saying any of the like micro decisions like at the time were necessarily wrong, but not being able to see the chessboard 3 4 years ago is where I think I is the strongest case towards like all right, this guy this is not it. And go literally go back to the first ever episodes we started talking about PGL. We literally called that out. We're like, they'll, they'll not have to do this. Like, there's this is this. There's it's so unrealistic for them to think that they will uh, even possibly see the vision of this. And even saying that out loud, I didn't think the tour was going to crumble. Like I was just like, yeah, they're kind of Teflon, man. Like they stuff just bounces off of them, and uh, it it did not end up working that way. I think you know, honestly, the, the better question is like, should Jay have ever been hired? Right? Like, is he? And in a simpler time, I think the answer is an easy yes. Like he's great with sponsors, great with people. When everything's going great, he might like people were so stoked when he took the job. Players, caddies, like everyone was fired up. Finally, Fincham is gone. Jay's personable. Listen, employees working. I was there at the time. It was it was people were pumped. Absolutely, he was was great. And then like when it came like wartime, did it did it go well? And it it did not. It, It certainly did not. So. I'm sorry, Tom, but you're not a wartime commentator. <laughs> Listen, we're deep into this pod, also deep into fall, quickly approaching the holiday season. Roback is ready. We cannot go anywhere without seeing that subtle dog logo. Uh, whether your your hoodie's on inside or out, you can find that subtle dog logo in the top corner. Uh, shout out to our guy TC for wearing an inside out hoodie for an entire episode. 
They're fresh off new restocks of our favorite polos, hoodies, and Q-zips. There is not better gear for the remainder of fall golf. The fit, the feel, the quality, it is perfect. Uh, they also release brand new performance crews. They are soft and comfortable, breathable, lightweight fabric. Also have a perfect stretch. They're great for the golf course or great for a night out. Uh, I don't have to say a damn thing about the performance hoodies. You know about the performance hoodies. I have wearing these on a cycle. The fabric is so soft, we cannot take it off. Uh, I, I actually have a new routine now when I have to put my daughter to bed. I have to tuck the strings in underneath the underneath there because I wear them so often, she knows how to grab on to the, uh, to the Roback hoodie strings. But uh, now you can pair them up with the Roback five pocket pants, some of the best pants we've ever seen. And now that it is the holiday season, load up on Roback for yourself or for others. Code NLU at Roback.com for 20% off your first order through the end of this week. R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off bottoms, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. Get ready for the holiday season with Roback. Rom thing. You want to do this quickly? I don't really care that much about it. Um, there was some quotes given in Spanish that were maybe taken out of context, maybe not. Who can tell with uh, the disinformation campaign the Saudis are running? But uh, he said, I am under very strict instructions not to do public events, which I have imposed on myself a little bit for myself and for the change I have given to the world of golf in the last week. Uh, Rom said, giving a categorical no when asked if he planned to give an interview. He said, "There's nothing. There will be nothing until February. I'm not allowed to." So there was a lot of pushback from the Live Universe about, uh, "See, you guys got this wrong. He did this to himself. He said he himself wasn't going to comment on this stuff." My point is, like, what fucking difference does it make? Like, if Rom in doing this has decided that he's going to clam up and not give any interviews through February, it's the same freaking thing that I talked about. It's like he's neutering himself because he doesn't want to sort of just be his natural normal self all throughout Rom's career. He's never said to himself like, Oh no, can't like I can't this. talk right now. Uh, so, so you might be right. Liv didn't say anything about it. John is not allowed to give interviews. John, you know, even though they've made it very clear in their initial contracts with guys that you couldn't talk unless you got, you couldn't do interviews unless you got Liv's permission. If they didn't do that with Rom, that's fine. I'll even concede that point. Rom doing this to himself just proves the point of like, he is not going to be his genuine self anymore. And that's a bummer. You can claim like it's the right move for him, whatever, but it's a bummer for the fan because John is interesting. John is articulate. John is smart. I want to hear what John Rom has to say about golf. I was just thinking last night about like when he walked into the booth and did all that stuff during, uh, I think it was, you know, Harbor Town. And he gave us sort of the breakdown last year of like Spieth and Cantlay and the slow play stuff. Like he's not going to probably do stuff like that. Uh, so at least, you know, for quite a while. So that's a loss for all of us. Don't have much to add. I think that's I think that's spot on. I think the hard part uh, on a lot of the ROM stuff is, I think I just I, I don't know. Solly, we were talking about it a little bit this week uh, when we saw each other, but I, I feel like I'm I'm almost like delaying any feelings on all of this until we kind of know what's going on the next couple of weeks, right? Where it's like if we if we get to four months from now and nothing has been resolved and the live season is fully underway and he you know everything is going kind of as it is right now it's a different conversation and then i think it'll hit me a little harder i'm like oh man it would have been cool if he was at riviera oh god it would have been cool if he was at whatever tournament but until we know like for all we know this might i mean this is a you know drastic exaggeration but like who's to say that they don't get a deal in place by the end of the year and part of that deal is like live guys can come back and rom is playing at riviera before the live season starts or maybe he's playing but like who the hell knows so i'm gonna not get too worked up until we know what the hell's going on that's i honestly my reaction when i read that was just kind of like 
guys, I, I don't want to say anything because the, this is, this is why I'm doing this, right? I know this merger's about to go through. I just got a fat bag of cash. I might, I might not have to hit more one shot on live past 2024. Like just, just let me collect my cash. And when everything comes together, you won't remember that I did this it was kind of, uh, it sucks. It all sucks. It definitely sucks, but it is such a, it is hilarious to see Liv scramble so hard to be like, no, 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 we didn't deny that he could do it. We didn't deny it. No, that's not how we operate. It's like, ah, that was in your contract. That is exactly how you operate. But this seems like it was a year ago, but it, uh, I believe this came out on uh, Monday, December 10th. Is that right? Yes. Or I guess last Sunday, there was a letter sent to the PGA Tour Policy Board from uh, Sussman Godfrey LLP. I uh, hope I'm saying that right. Uh, signed by 21 uh, players, the members of the PGA Tour. Uh, they wrote on behalf to uh, on their behalf to obtain information about the PGA Tour's consideration of several proposals that will alter the structure of the PGA Tour and may have a profound impact on our clients' lives and the lives and livelihoods of hundreds of other PGA Tour players. Uh, the board has re recently received multiple bids by prospective capital partners that will potentially transform how the PGA Tour operates, who controls it, and who owns it. All but a handful of PGA Tour players have been kept entirely in the dark about prospective transaction, how it will impact them, and what conflicts of interest may impact the decision makers. Blah, 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 blah. Can we get to the names already, Sally? Just shut up. And can we just go through these names? It is signed by maybe the 21 exact guys you would think it was signed by. A couple curveballs thrown in there. Uh, but... Ryan Brem, TC's boy, uh, Wesley Bryan, TC's boy, also who actually has since removed his name uh, from the letter. Letter uh, MJ, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Remove your name from the letter. It's like it's like when you get Twitter blue and you can edit your post. I think afterwards. that's exactly <laughs> what happened. I think he's. I think he saw the rest of the names. Like, oh fuck, I got whoa, run. Whoa. MJ Duffy, as I believe how you say it. Dylan Fratelli, of course. Tommy Gainey. <laughs> Brent Grant, first time hearing of this name, I'm not going to lie. Lonto Griffin, of course. James Hahn, of course. Uh, Scott Harrington, hated seeing that one. I like Scott. He was great. Uh, Andrew Landry, Nate Lashley, Brandon Matthews, a former, uh, once a young hitter, always a young hitter. But uh, that was one I was surprised to see on there. William McGirt, Grayson Murray, Scott Your Piercy, Neil's boy. boy Ches Reavy on there. Uh, that was tough. Oof. My boy Chris Stroud, that was a tough one on there, but given his quotes the last couple of weeks, not surprised. Callum Taran, DJ Trahan, Richie Warinsky, and Masters champion Danny Willett are the ones that are signing this letter and uh, have legal representation that is being paid for by the PGA Tour. Uh, uh, seeking information on uh, how this deal goes down. So they're just asking questions. All right. The PJ Tour paying for this, Solly, might be the strongest case towards what you said earlier. Maybe they're just trying to sabotage it so it gets so bad that they can just really blow it up. You know, maybe it's like, ooh, this is going to make you guys look so bad. Of course, we'll pay for this. This sounds great. All right. Listen, uh, uh, in response to the mules, we're going to have a lot of fun as, as we have all year at the uh, expense of the mules. I, I respect anybody who can uh, who can get a PJ Tour card. It's an unbelievable needle to you know to get your way through. Uh, I think there is a place for you know there's a place in the world of golf for all of these guys. You know the best players in the world need players to beat. Otherwise, they you know it's hard to tell who the best player in the world is. Uh, things of that nature. I think if somebody is trying to you know like there's probably a lot of truth to like you know, these guys careers are about to be upended. We kind of alluded to that. I think there is probably a tidal wave coming to wipe out the mules, uh, or at least a lot of them. Uh, 
But man, if you if you have not been paying attention for the last like eighteen months, and you're just now like coming around to what is happening in the world of golf, and you're you're you want to get hyper fixated on FedEx Cup points distributions uh, at now, like I I really don't know what to to say to you, man. That's some really grade A weapons grade tone deafness from uh, from this squad going on. I think. I- we left out the best line if you if you want to talk about tone deafness, which is the PGA Tour players who have been kept in the dark about this process are the lifeblood of the tour. They deserve to know what is happening. Pretty sure this was all circulated like very heavily. And again, just because you didn't read it when it came out is not really my problem. But and you can also, disagree, man. You, you can have disagree representation. Yeah, you have representation. Dude, there was a lot of memos. Okay, I get a lot of emails. <laughs> right. so I can't be expected to read them all. Yeah, that's kind of what this reeks of. I don't know. That's where again I'm I'm not a, a lawyer and, and but I'll I'll play one for the next 45 seconds if you want me to to say like all right if I've read read this of like again I don't know exactly understanding what the PGA Tour's mandate is and understanding how the organization is run like they probably have a decent case here right of like yo you're about to make some changes here that's going to like totally chop off our legs like does that seem like you're serving the best interests of the members of the PGA Tour by doing this like no and that's not, that's pause, fair pause real quick to underscore like what the actual complaint is here because the the complaint, as I understand it, is that basically FedEx Cup points are getting so lopsided that no, this is this is I mean this is they they want a a disclosure of the details and analysis of any proposals by prospective capital partners like this is so this is about the potential new deal right uh, that, that's coming through from from private equity that's a separate wasn't there an example uprising. in there though about like how it's not fair you get you know, so much fewer points, 262% fewer points for finishing fifth of the Barbasol that you do at fifth of Riviera. Like, I think that's, yeah, duh, that's, that's probably a pretty that's, good, that's an attachment uh, on this thing. Of course, I'm, I'm citing the tweet from at Tron Carter NLU, who I believe broke this news at one forty-four AM. Uh, on Monday. Nobody has done more for the mules. He invented <laughs> half of these. True. <laughs> yeah. But second to say like, Hey, Again, speaking to how the structure works, like the mules, quote, the mules have representation on the policy board, right? Like, and the policy board is how these decisions get made, right? Not every decision gets thrown out to the PGA Tour players to have a vote here. So, yeah, there is actually information that has gotten to you guys about this. And two, yeah, there are people not named uh, Brent Grant that are going to make the final decision on these things. And yeah, you're going to have to live with it. Would I be mad if I was in their their spot uh, that things are changing? Sure. Does it make perfect sense that things would change absolutely so yeah we're going to probably make fun of this in the process so can i just still it still makes me laugh about chris stroud talking about wanting to form a union like you know again i commented previously like who's in your union man but it makes me laugh though to think the more i think about it it's like who are you bargaining against it's a player run tour the whole thing who is your antagonist in this thing like if you honestly if what he needs is a caucus like they need to basically like band all the mules together form like a mule herd and basically say, we will refuse to play in tournaments, any of us, unless you, and, and have that be their line in the sand, their bluff. Because I don't really see what the, uh, and, and bas- then you're basically like organized against the top players. God. So that's that's where they need to organize. Who, the mule union. Who's going to uh, cross the picket line and why is it blocky? <laughs> <laughs> blocky might be the only guy that can reunite some of these, some of these factions. I don't know. Uh, anyways, that was that was more funny than it was serious. Big Tone is staying despite numerous reports uh, from aggregators out there trying to break news that Tone was gone. Uh, uh, that could have could have been a career ender for some if uh, if they didn't just 
live in creating think, live rumors out there. But Big Tone is staying. I think Big Tone stayed because he wants to play with his kids in the PNC. He's got to win a major he's first. Promised them like six, seven star. Oh, that's right. You got to win a major. Well, get to work. Yeah. I, I think I have no. You know, or players. Th- this is not an official report, but I, I think Big Tone stayed because like the offer probably went away, right? Isn't that like the whole thing okay. is like, why do you need Big Tone if you've got Rom? That's what we kind of talked about the whole time on the last podcast. Is Rom is the big hammer to swing on? Like, let's get this deal done. Otherwise, we're going to keep doing this. I don't think like, you know, I don't think you're just going to go sign like a million symbolic guys. So uh, that's. Do you think that like purely my guess and, like. And Tony knew that they were like negotiating against each other. That like they were, you know, they think they were like, oh, you know, Victor, we we, we could up our offer, but you know, we got some other irons in the fire too. Yeah, so know. that ESPN article you take said, this now it said they were still negotiating, trying to recruit players to Rom's team. Like I, I don't know if I'm Yasser, dude. I absolutely, I'm spending eighty five million or whatever would be on fee now to like, if it's all rounding error to me, anyways. I mean, that's that's what that's even more negotiation. Whatever the final things they're pushing through in this, like you're gaining more and more power the more you do that. Why why? Why do the ROM thing if you're not going to do more? That's what I mean. I think the ROM thing was the thing. I think yeah, that but, was like, I think they put a hole in the boat. They don't need to just keep keep putting holes in the boat. I mean, if it becomes a run on the bank, that is a very if, good thing. If. I, like, I don't know that that's what's going to happen. I don't know. We'll, we'll you see. know what's kind of funny, though, about the live stuff is like in the beginning, it was like, yeah, man, like money's just flowing. Everybody's flying private. Caddies are allowed to get whatever they want. It's so <laughs> sick over here. And then they're like, yeah, actually, like, you know, fuck the caddies. Like, fuck all the families. Like, we're just going to give all this money to Rom, man. Like, there, there ain't no, like, unlimited money for, like, all you people. Yeah. But, like, Rom, yeah, like, Caponio for that guy. Uh, another note, NBC is eyeing Jeff Ogilvie for the open color seat, uh, which uh, this is a report coming from the Sports Business Journal. Guys, I, I, I think this might be the, the best news we've heard in golf in the, in the month of December. I think this would be a fantastic addition. Yeah. I think Brendan Porath put this well. I was like, I'm not ready to live in a world yet where like both color commentators on the major networks are like widely accepted as like being good at their jobs. For golf nerds <laughs> like, too. Like they're yeah, not for, like Yeah, for Trevor and Jeff like would be the two dudes that'd be like, wow, like we really couldn't do much better than this. What a what a win for us. Maybe we're also just getting old. Maybe there's like a whole crop of of uh youths out there saying, like, why are they going with all these old guys? Jeff Ogilvy, like, get him the hell out of here. You know, this might just be us aging, guys, being cool with uh, some of management's decisions. Who knows? Welcome, guys. Welcome to the aging <laughs> bracket. Um, other names in that article listed uh, as 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 possibilities were Brandel, David Duvall, and Brad Faxon. Also, Paul McGinley, who auditioned for it at the Hero World Challenge. Also, Kevin Kisner will be serving as an analyst at the Century and at the Waste Management. I did not see that one coming. Didn't know about that. That was just announced today. This also ain't no hobby, I would seem. Yeah. <laughs> This is more like a, a part-time gig. I'm for I listen, the Kisner stuff can can I've probably had my fill of it specifically, but I think that's at least a sign of trying new things for for NBC. So I'm gonna I'm gonna praise progress there. He could I'm be really good. Why wouldn't Rick be really good? He could be. Why wouldn't Rich Beam be like uh, up for some of this? Like Rich Beam is more famous in Europe than he is in the United States because he does so much great stuff on Sky. Yeah. Good question probably more fun to work on that sky than it would be yeah. NBC, but that's just my guess probably i think kisner kisner strikes me as what the line we always use i feel like of not trying to get somebody who's going to do like an impression of a a broadcaster and it's just going to kind of be mm-hmm. themselves right and so yeah i'm i'm all for it or at least trying it and if it sucks then you go do something else but at least give it a shot i love it 
PNC Championship, finally the golf this week. Um, TC's favorite event. He was uh, absolutely gutted to miss the show tonight. I believe he's going to the uh, the Jags Ravens Sunday night game. He's waiting all day for Sunday night, of course. But uh, <laughs> I wonder if he's got. I hope he doesn't get a physical altercation with any of those. You know, Jack, Coach Dirty, <laughs> any of those guys on this on the on the set. Yeah, I put I put out the word for Baltimore people to leave him be. So. <laughs> Uh, he did want us to note that uh, what a disgrace it was that Bernard Longer was playing from uh, the the up tees, the six thousand yards. He's playing the same uh, tees as Stricker's daughter. <laughs> no, he's playing up up no, from Stricker's I think, daughter. I think they I think. were playing the same tees. I think they were playing. Okay, I think the only people playing farther up than Bernhard were like Trevino and Will McGee. Tough, not good. Will McGee apparently should have been playing from one tee back, according to the actual written yeah. rules I saw that was tweeted out there. I don't care. Let me talk to there. <laughs> you care. seem like you do. You seem like you do. I just I was making sure that TC's voice was heard. He would want the the protest to be lobbied to the record, you know, filed into the record. Anything I wanted to be upset about with the PNC, I stopped myself. I, I was just this is a hit and giggle, guys. This is exactly what golf in December should look like. I'm not going to get mad about Charlie Woods, pimp stepping drives and a bunch of videos circulate about it. Like it's not for us, I'm sure, but it's, you know, it's for the, the families out there. There is a cool element to it. I mean, for those that have grown up watching tiger and get to watch him go, his daughter was on the bag this past week. If you didn't see it and uh, obviously playing with his son, like it was way cuter when, when Charlie was like 10 and, and hitting all these drives and all these mannerisms. Like now he's, it seems like an adult and he's like 14 now, but uh, look, it's harmless fun. Uh, I, I, I enjoy flipping the PNC on it. The last few years have been like truly kind of musty stuff. Cause I think back to the tweet, I forget who tweeted it. It might've been Claire Rogers or something a couple of years ago was like, there's literally one person in the, in the world more exciting to watch play golf than tiger. And it's his son. And uh, that one always stuck with me, but uh, look as, as a 14 year old, it's not quite as fun, but look, is it close to jumping the shark? Maybe, but it's also harmless fun. And I enjoyed having it on the background. When uh, Annika made her son th- thank the sponsors, uh, that, was, that was a moment today. I was like, ooh, <laughs> that <laughs> might be taking this shit a little too seriously. Yeah, I think that's my, Saul, you mentioned it, but that's my favorite part about this is like, this is so specific, but there was a way that Charlie put his hat on. Like mm. after he took his hat off and like shook hands with everybody, he like put his hat back on in the same way. I was like, oh my God, I've seen that. <laughs> it, no, only one person puts their hat on that way. And I've seen it like 8,000 times. And just the little ticks and the little mannerisms. <laughs> and, like it. What's that? What's up? uh so, it's it's hmm? so good I, I get such a kick out of out of that i am not here for you know the discourse about any of it i don't you know if he plays uh if he becomes the world's best golfer uh awesome if he doesn't also fine uh but i i do get a kick out of out of watching this but kvb to your point the the other big mannerism i picked up was the thanking the sponsors that's just i mean that's just genetics man you just <laughs> that's just in you Hell yeah. Eh, whatever. I thought it was fun. I I liked when he waved goodbye to his ball. That was fun. I, people were like all upset about the, the idea that people were upset about it. I was like, wait, I've seen way more people who are mad because they think someone else is mad. This is like the classic Twitter like invented like, oh, I, I was told that Steph Curry wasn't a good shooter. <laughs> <laughs> no? What? <laughs> Uh, this is, uh, I, I, as reported here on the, again, on the no laying it up podcast, uh, tiger will, uh, this was, uh, tiger was asked about the, the future of his deal with Nike. And he said, I'm still wearing their product, uh, when asked twice about it. And he said that twice. So, uh, I believe that is a sign that, uh, this was indeed his last, uh, tournament being played, uh, with the Nike swoosh, uh, as, as you may have heard here first a couple weeks ago, but 
We'll see. I got to think, yeah, I don't know. If I'm reading between the lines, which nobody's asking me to do, I would say uh, his son wearing the Grayson stuff. Got to think Charlie Woods probably had some Nike stuff lying around if that was a priority to the family. So uh, that would be the other big clue, I think. Yeah, there's. Uh, I'll let that one play out. There's a lot of rumors going around and whatnot. I think we have a decent idea of what's going to happen, but uh, I'm not a I'm not a, a gearhead to that extent. People are like sad about him leaving Nike, and it's like ah, I get it's it. It is iconic. Like, it's iconic. It is, yeah. but um, you know, I don't know. There's there's Just a lot a, of shit going on in the world. Brand. Yeah. <laughs> We're all gonna be okay. Weep, I weep for the brands. <laughs> I know, as always. Yeah. What about the brands? <laughs> no one's thinking about the brands in this in this case. Q School was rained out on Sunday. It has been horrific weather here in Jacks. It will finish up on Monday. Uh, five PGA Tour cards will be given out. Uh, the top five right now are Harrison Endicott, uh, Blaine Hale, Spencer Levine, Trace Crow, and Raul Pereira. Um, also tied for fifth. Sorry, is Hayden Springer. Um, Julian Surrey, Kyle Westmoreland, Danny Walker, Chris Pete, uh, Pete Fish are just a few names outside of the uh, top five. A lot of people are pretty mad, Solly, about that there's only five cards available. Not, I don't know if a lot of people, but uh, Greg Chalmers, former PGA Tour player, uh, furious that they're giving out uh, more European Tour cards, uh, more, more cards through the European Tour than they are given out through Q School. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, created a little bit of a inner fighting in amongst my uh, For You timeline, which you know can be a bit of a adventure on the x can't uh yeah can't say I've, I've spent months and months and years thinking about this but i gotta think like a full season's body of work <laughs> i was just gonna say it seems like it would outweigh four four days in jacksonville in december it's literally uh, the top 10 for the dp world tour like we're yeah. and we're in guys that are 126 through whatever uh playing in this i think we're good I, here I just—he's getting a lot of a lot of burn on this on this podcast already. But I gotta give Tron another shout out of just how he continues to have this Forrest Gumpian uh, type of <laughs> presence in every, seemingly every storyline <laughs> in in golf. It's just the Ludwig stuff is a perfect example. The Scheffler stuff's great. Like he went and played golf with Spencer Levine last week, and his child—you <laughs> know—just his childhood hero. If Spencer comes and gets his PJ Tour card fresh off the heels of that it's just it's it's again you gotta you gotta hand it to him hmm. well Deej, why don't you bring us home we're gonna uh you know this is potentially the last recap pod uh of 2023 uh you have a great idea for a, a way to close out the pod for the year yeah we're just gonna do some superlatives you know we don't know where we're going unless we know where we've been right so we gotta now is the time to look back on uh on just a historic year so i put together some some awards of course we're gonna be coming into movie season here pretty quick uh award season in general uh, so let's let's start by handing out some some golf awards. Uh, gosh, where should we start? Let's start with uh, this is a fun one. Let's start with favorite shot you saw in person this year. Uh, KVV, let me start with you. Just throw out the nominees and we'll we'll kind of pick a pick a winner. All right. So uh, at the Ryder Cup this year, uh, I told you, DJ, I was like, I think I'm going to go follow, uh, you know, Max and uh, and going up against. Victor Hovland and Ludwig Aberg. Uh seems like a fun one to start out the Ryder Cup on. And you know, that, that I think obviously you, we all three were there. Crowd was a little bit kind of muted, a little bit tepid in the uh the beginning. We were sort of kind of laughing at how tame the first tee was. And, and Ludwig blew a shot kind of right of the green. And it's like, oh man, Victor's gonna have to chip. This should be fun. 
And Victor Hovland hit this like little nippy pitch that he had to throw like probably 20 feet right of the hole. And it trickled and trickled and trickled and trickled and trickled and dropped in the cup right like probably 15 feet from me. And the whole like I think all of Italy like exploded. It was uh, just a huge, huge eruption and kind of set the tone for like, oh, it happened again, didn't it? Oh, it's over. This is what happens when the U.S. goes to Europe. Yeah, it's we are donezo. And so that was the best shot that I saw this year was that little nippy pitch the victory he had to hit it from on the green actually had to hit it over a little ridge and throw it way right of the hole and uh, hit it in so that won the wire cup that was the wire cup was over with that pitch that that's shot. it that's true it's um, all in. Yep. i think you i don't know if this was going to be yours as well but um subash tamong uh hit his <laughs> his second shot into uh the second hole at royal melbourne at the asia pacific amateur championship uh this God, past I year i should have called it this guy uh um, totally gonna be mine no, so if you didn't listen to that recap pod, uh, he is uh, he's the first Nepalese golfer to ever make the cut at the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship. Uh, his uh, his parents make bricks from mud in their in their village, and he dropped out of school to help them make mud bricks to earn enough money to support the family, uh, and eventually was okay. sent to live uh, with his aunt in the capital went city. To live? He, he was sent to live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he became. A, they needed somebody to mud, make mud bricks, Steve. He he became a, a spotter. Infrastructure, God damn it, guys. Plays with the iron heads now. <laughs> Not Subash to live. I cannot handle that. I cannot handle that. Um, he became a spotter at the uh, local golf course. That's where he picked up the game and uh, is become an extremely, extremely uh, talented golfer at that. And he hit this shot into the wind on this firm golf course on this really long par four that had to start way right to get around these bunkers, land in the front part of the green and roll up to like 15 feet. And Ben and I were sitting behind this green and we we're like, what a sick shot. And we didn't realize it was him. It was like, holy shit. He's like a five foot five, maybe a uh, Nepalese guy that does not get to travel the world and play golf. And he hit that shot in competition. And he recently just won uh, the, uh, the uh, all India championship this past weekend. Yeah. He won the final match nine and seven. Uh, he's an wow. absolute baller. He missed the cut by one at the Asia Pacific Amateur, but that shot like rang in my memory of like it was a really cool event I went to, and it was a very memorable shot of like I don't know when the next Nepalese golfer is gonna like stun me with how good of a long iron he hits, but that was the shot. All right, these these nominees are gonna be read into just so they make the Wikipedia historical record. Uh, Roy's chip on 17 on Saturday at the Ryder Cup, the one like when he was down, oh, I thought about left, that one. Yeah. yeah, and he hit that yeah. thing that just like ripped the emergency break. And uh, that, like, I almost had a heart attack, I think, when I saw that one in person. Max saving par at 18 to keep the Ryder Cup alive when he had to take the unplayable was, yeah, a very tense moment, uh, to see in person. And then, Kev, you wrote brilliantly about this, but I'm gonna give a shout to our guy, the three putt king. At the NIT, uh, uh, I, you know, three putt King, of course, is his message board alias. Uh, he made it to the finals of our, our NIT, our nest invitational tournament at Fields Ranch. He got to number 13. I'm just going to say three putt King. I think Derek Ho I, is I, his I, real name. He would love to, I'm sure, get his name, real name. Shot yeah, I was debating there, so. whether to dox him. And Derek. then I realized you, you wrote yeah. the whole story about him. But he, uh, I think Derek probably knows. Not a good short game. Very, very, very bad short Correct. game for the three putt king. Mm -hmm. He's he's probably what a twenty something handicap, something like Come that. There, yeah. And he hit this shot on uh, number thirteen at Fields Ranch, which was like a two hundred and forty five yard, like par three straight up the hill that just had like 
It's like 150 mile an hour ball speed off of this like four iron that he hit just up against the wind to a back left pin. It was one of the most unbelievable shots I've ever seen coming from like a 25 handicap. It just it truly uh, just is going to be imprinted on my mind. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to give the award to uh, Hovland chipping in. I think that's I think that's a no brainer that that that, uh, you know, is going to echo in golf history. All right, let's go to uh, this moment should have been a bigger deal. Uh, more people should have been talking about this. What I, uh, I have a, I have a feeling we're all going to have the same one. Maybe. Oh no, I think I have an unusual okay. one. But go ahead. Phil Mickelson finished fucking runner up at the Masters this year. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was I. I thought about that one for sure. Like we should talk about that every that. single week uh, this year. Only yeah. John Rahm beat Phil Mickelson at the Masters, the same Masters he went to the Champions Dinner and didn't say a word. He went out and finished runner up. <laughs> Keep in mind, Sully, he also lost like 40 pounds like two weeks before that Masters. <laughs> so God. he showed up his high school weight. Yeah, people should have been talking Which, about If that. all things you do got to hand it to him, it is that. He finished runner-up as a 53-year-old at the Masters this year. It's incredible. Kev, let me go. I'll, I'll throw a couple out here because it sounds like you went a little off the off the map. I'm going to put Lilia Vu's ascent in here. I know she, she did get a lot of run, but just going from like losing her card to winning four times and two majors and becoming the number one player in the world. All, all that is just worth shouting out at every turn. Nick Taylor winning the Canadian open. I know that got a lot of run, but that was also like five days after the merger was announced. And so I, I would like to issue a, mea, a personal mea culpa. We did not give that enough burn on, on this here podcast. So congrats, belated congratulations to Nick Taylor. Uh, I thought Yasser playing the Dunhill under the name Andrew Waterman didn't, <laughs> didn't. I don't think that got enough run. I think that is way funnier than uh, <laughs> that it was given credit for, and it's something that we should have talked about way more. And it just people people just let it die, uh, which is unfortunate because it's very funny. And then I'll also say Blocky doing the shift at the Raising Canes right after the PGA is something that that should have gotten some more run too. That was uh, Kev. Did I did I take any of yours? No, I mean, I thought we were going to go with like specific shot on this. So I, I was, uh, <laughs> mine was very sort of, it's that bunker shot that Spieth hit uh, at uh, Waste Management. So it was like, Greller said it was the greatest like bunker shot that Spieth has ever hit. And this dude's hit a lot of good bunker shots. It was like a 60 yard sort of back pin water, you know, on all sides. And it's like in that peninsula part of that green. And it just like skipped like right up close. Uh, and the only reason we got to see it is because some fan took a video of it on their cell phone. Uh, the, the broadcast had no record of it. So you kind of maybe wonder how many like stupid good shots out there occur on the PGA Tour that just never we don't ever know about. Like probably a lot. Solly, what's your what were you giving the award? Uh I mean Andrew Waterman probably. That that we I totally yeah. forgot about that. And <laughs> that that that's what this award should be for. All right. You uh you kick off the next one, Solly. Let's do uh let's do Mule of the Year. This who, is an easy wins, one. Who wins the title for Mule of the Year? A popular one. Uh, you know, he's headlining the CMAs here coming up shortly, and that's of course <laughs> country music sensation Eric Cole. He had uh, I think I have stats here. He had six hundred and seventy-eight starts this past year. He made four hundred and twenty-one million dollars. <laughs> uh and just kept banging out hit after hit after hit. Uh, even with all those, you know, the Spotify streaming doesn't, you know, get net you a lot of money these days. But out on tour, uh, he headlined in, in, in every city he went to. And uh, absolutely the mule of the year. 
It, it is. Let me wild. just throw out a, another possibility, though, before you move on from Cole. Well, ling- right, lingering on from from just let's talk Eric Cole one more second. Uh, mm-hmm. Previous high, like you're joking about the the amount of money he made. He made five and a half million dollars on the golf course this year. Uh, previous high of his career, and he turned pro in 2009. Uh, he, he is not young. He's 35 years old, right? And mm-hmm. so, as a rookie, um, made five and a half million dollars on the PJ Tour. His previous high in his career was 221,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a true breakout year in the in the truest uh, sense of the word. So, of course, he's on my list as well. But, Kev, I, I think I know where you're going next. I, I feel like the really the mule of the year should go to Ryan Armour yeah. because yeah. he coined the term. Like, they want us to be mules out there. Ryan Armour embodied everything that a mule should be. I think he was 167th in the FedEx Cup. He had, like, one top 25. He made 33 starts, made, like, you know – half the cuts barely in that situation or i i think ryan armor might be the mule of the century <laughs> he might be the I mule think, i think he might be the mule. it feels a lot he also like- got into it with tc about that he was upset that tc's claimed that uh you know that he referred to himself as a mule he's like i didn't say that and tc was like then why did you use the word we in the very next <laughs> sentence tc was what came back at him frost nixon style I was like no 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 i, I have receipts <laughs> right here <laughs> uh yeah, I, I totally agree. It kind of feels like, you know, when Oxford does their, like, word of the year, it kind of feels like mule might be the, the golf golf word of the year. But sure. uh, I'm going to add, I'll throw Chesson Hadley in there, uh, demanding to be rewarded for his loyalty to the PJ yes. Tour, I think is a lasting quote that should, yes. should be read into the record. Nate Lashley for kind of just spearheading some of this mule uprising and also apparently being just an Airbnb mogul, like just <laughs> running all kinds of rental properties. It's very mule-like behavior. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I'm going to give another nominee to Adam Shank. Like, oh yeah, I, I would say prototypical mule, but just a fucking awesome year. Finished ninth yeah. in the FedEx Cup, lost in a playoff, seven top tens, won five ninth. million bucks. Jesus, yeah. really? Wow. Yeah, and some of that's skewed because it's like all based on like the tour championship, right? But sure. still. And then another one, you could quibble with this one a little bit if you want, but uh, I'm gonna say Sepp Straka, just a complete mm. glow up this year. I feel like that, that. Like I feel like he's a quintessential mule. He won the John Deere, the you know the John Deere <laughs> Classic, which is the ultimate mule W. Uh, 14th in the mm. FedEx Cup, made over five million bucks, played on a winning Ryder Cup team. Uh, just the the stuff of the stuff of legends, but I, I think Kev, I'm going to go with you. I think it's Ryan Armour. I think he gets the yeah, award. I think it's too. Uh, I think he's he should be grandfathered in as like it should be like the Ryan Armour Mule Award for this moment going forward. Yeah. So yeah, you I know, agree. He has to I win like the first that. One. I like that. Uh, Kev, start with you. Bleakest moment of the year. Uh, all right. So <laughs> deep thought about this one. I think I'm a pretty good one. Mine would be uh, when they had the flash mob at Live London. <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it today just because I couldn't really believe that it was real, that it wasn't from like 2005. And it's just like the, all the people are like, it's, you know, the song for the flash mob is party rockers in the house tonight, which is perfect. And also like all the fans, if you watch, I'll, I'll link this in my Twitter are just standing in the back with their arms crossed. And it reminded me of like the scene in Mean Girls when they like start doing the like grinding like Jingle Bell Rock and like all the teachers are just like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> just horrified. <laughs> it's a straight like, it just, it's the most roasted I think that Liv ever got. 
on Twitter about anything. It was like the kind of the, the, the low point. I mean, you might say this like Liv's origin story of like getting Rom started in that moment. The Oscar was like, I will never be embarrassed like this again. <laughs> and that led to Rom. So ha, ha, he has that last laugh. But that moment right there, I was like, man, it is, this is bleak. I oh, forget somebody good. had the tweet that was like uh, that, that, that dude, that older guy with the glasses and that cartoon that like sits really depressed at the computer. And it was like, Live bots logging on to defend a flash mob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, obviously nothing's going to top that. That that yeah, feels like it's going to be a W. Dumb. I'm just going to throw out. I mean, seeing Yasser and Jay on CNBC was was a bleak was a bleak moment. Morning session of the uh, of day one of the Ryder Cup, just getting blanked. Mm. You know, four zero. Uh, Ron mm-hmm. Price testifying in front of Congress was was bleak, <laughs> and then big one. This is maybe a, a personal one, but just watching Rory play number fourteen at LACC, hitting that wedge into the lip of the bunker and making bogey on the par five and losing by one was could have could have taken a par there. That would have been fun. Mm-hmm. That's all. Anything to add? My bleakest moment was after a year of just getting bludgeoned and beaten over the head with money, 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 money on everything. Uh, just looking so forward to that final event of the year, you know, that big trip over to Italy and like flying back on the plane from my favorite event in the world after the U.S. just got their asses handed to us. And having Xander and Cantlay, that article come out about Xander and Cantlay making the Ryder <laughs> Cup about money was one final bleak moment. Like this is the worst golf year I've ever had in any of my careers of covering this sport. And uh, that was just that was when it was really bottoming out. All right, I put one on here. Best major championship hole of the year. So this is obviously going to be non, non-Augusta non version. Uh, I'll throw out the 18th at Royal Liverpool with the OB all the way up yeah. the right. Yep, was, that was almost my pick. Was pretty cool. And then these are these are pretty normie picks here. I didn't go to, to Hipster. I got that one. I got number six at LACC. That's the, the drivable mm-hmm. part four. Uh, the, the most off the map I was going to get was somehow qualifying the Ryder cup as a major and throwing in number 16 at Margo Simone. I actually, you know, you mentioned it, but I 14 at LACC, I actually thought was a kind of a really challenging par five. They couldn't get there in two except for Wyndham. And that's what made that shot such an unbelievable, like, Hey, I have this literally like eight yard area I have to hit into with a three wood. And that was one of the best shots that I watched this year too, was Wyndham just absolutely roasting that three wood while Rory was kind of you know, on tilt after making bogey in that, uh, in the group ahead. So that 14 was honestly I'm trying to think back on like, God, there a lot of the LACC holes actually ended up being kind of duds. Like 15 was supposed to be sweet. That was right. kind of a dud. Mm-hmm. 11 didn't really pr- produce a whole lot of great moments. 18 definitely did not the way that one finished. Um, I, uh, Oak Hill, nothing really stuck out. 14 was supposed to be a sweet hole that drive before and it ended up being kind of, kind of not great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, six at LACC was my my vote because that was that one met the hype. It was fucking phenomenal. All right, let's call this uh, the disappearing ink award. This is just I, I'm gonna. It's going into Wikipedia. It's gonna be. It happened, but when somebody tells you about it three years from now, you're not gonna believe that it happened. And this is, could be someone's performance for the year. This could be, you know, wh- however you guys want to take this. Kind of an interpretive interpretive award. Solly, where'd you go with this one? So. Brian Harmon won the open by six shots. Like, I mean, I watched. I was there. I watched it all. I saw it all. Like, this is not a surprise to me. But I think we're gonna look. Like, we're gonna do that. Twenty twenty three open. Well, which one was that one? And and kind of forget that that happened. Like six shots. That's crazy. Six shots. A major championship. He'd never won a. All of his PGA Tour wins were by one shot or less, or in playoffs. He'd never. 
and he won a major championship by six. Like that was that was that's going to sound fake three years from now. That's wild. I never. It didn't make me think about when the last time Brian Harmon won a tournament by six shots. Uh, you know, probably college, but maybe like juniors. Like yeah. you know, it's, it's probably been a long time. Uh, mine would be. Uh, at the U.S. Open, Ricky Fowler shot the lowest round in history of the U.S. Open, and then 30 minutes later, Xander Schauffele <laughs> tied the lowest round in the history of the U.S. Open. It was kind of like, eh, cool, that was fun. Like, no one will give two hoots about that. And uh, they would they'd be like, really? Like, the two lowest scores in the history of the U.S. Open happened, like, right next to each other, and that was kind of no big deal. So. I think mine, I like both of those. I think mine is, is going to be... Uh, you know, just trying to explain to my children that there was there was a quorum of people, just grown men with tears in their eyes, lobbying for Lucas Glover to be on the Ryder Cup team. Uh, and he, you know, he parlayed it all into like a TGL thing. It was supposed to be this whole simulator golf league, but then the roof collapsed. Uh, so it never really like got off the ground. But yeah, I don't know. He made like six and a half million dollars. He won back to back events. He was like truly the hottest, but his pants like were all covered in sweat. It was crazy. It was like this two-week phenomenon people were just losing their minds about uh i have a, a late nominee it was when when nance called blockies up and down one of the greatest <laughs> up and downs in history <laughs> love you nance i mean you know you got caught up in the moment but i think maybe that one will feel a little strange when sally and i do the look back uh you know 20 years from now <laughs> oh god all right on that note we got we got just a couple more here uh pro golf shot of the year i'm gonna just throw out blockies ace i mean ah, that's, that's good god. Yeah. that is like did I don't know that anything burned hotter than that. Did it go in? Did it go in? It did. did it go in? No. Oh, Rory. Hey, 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 Rory, did it go Rory. in? Rory. Did it go Rory. in? <laughs> uh, I went Nick Taylor's putt. That was sick, and it probably didn't get the run it deserved. But that, like, the win your national open, that was 71-foot eagle putt in a playoff. That was awesome. Uh, I had a couple nominees. Uh, I'm not sure they top either of those, but uh, Wyndham Clark's uh, seven iron into the 18th green wow. on Saturday in the mm, dark. Uh, twirled the club like one of the most vicious twirls ever. Kisses the pin, makes birdie there. That was pretty incredible. And then the other two that I had was uh, Big Bob McIntyre's oh, three wood into the 18 at the Scottish, and then Rory's two iron mm -hmm. to follow it uh, to beat him. God, Those were, you know, two two really fun shots to see. Only only others to add. Uh, Rory driving that green at the match play, hitting it to three feet, oh, like yeah. the three hundred and seventy yard hole. He hits it to three feet to to yeah. win his match, and then Carlos right after he'd done the succession pod. That's too. right, and uh, Carlos Saganda <laughs> uh, stuffing it at seventeen to basically clinch the Solheim Cup in her home country was mm. was pretty yeah. pretty epic stuff. Uh, all right, let's do. I got two more. Uh, we're going to call this the best picture award, just best, best film of the year, best tournament of the year, all the way top to bottom. What tournament did you have the most fun watching? What, what was going to be the most, you know, kind of historically significant from this year? What's the one that you're going to put in the time capsule as 2023? This was, this was the best of us here. So I'll even start with you. Man, now that you describe it that way, I don't know if this holds up, but like the best, like heavyweight fight that we saw this year, green book, I feel like was Riviera with ramen max yeah. like that, that was, was yeah. just a the true highlight golf course the pga tour uh amongst many 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 not good golf courses true like a you know two rider cuppers going head to head which we do not see week to week on the pga tour and that duel those shots that they hit down the stretch that was uh that was like the that was peak pga tour golf i i went, I went pga tour there just because the majors were kind of 
not that close and not that exciting this past year. And uh, that was that was I feel like the most fun tournament to watch. That, that feels like, like all the, the way down to the end too, where Max almost chips yeah, it in. Yeah. Like that that was an awesome finish. That that feels like the token uh, indie that gets nominated for best picture. That I don't think it has a studio support to necessarily sure, win, fun. but it's it's a great nominee. <laughs> I had a great time watching that film. Everybody should go see it. It's really really good. Yeah. Would Kev? you like Barbie? Go ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For me, DJ, it would be the, the feel-good nominee and the best picture thing would be me taking my kid to Pebble Beach, uh, the Women's US Open. I get to you know see Michelle Wee's last ever uh, tournament. The the big studio pushing, a lot of money behind it would be Live Adelaide. Uh, you know, oh, that, you that's go. just uh, people people drinking out of shoes, you know, dr- running with their shirts off. Uh, so that I would want those to sort of be, you know, if as long as we're putting together a best picture uh, sort of ca- category with all appeals to all audiences, those are mine. I, I'm going to say the PGA. I, I think mm. like just mm. top to bottom Brooks returning. This is, you know, we've, we've all got the context of, uh, of full swing and him, you know, am I ever going to be good enough to mm-hmm. win one of these majors again? He comes back in, slams the door. We see Hovland showing a different sign of Hovland, maybe signaling that, you know, he's a different, a different dude that there's going to be, you know, kind of showing what's to come. Bryson playing well at a major, uh, and of course, Blocky. I mean, the you know, Blocky's like the the Jar Jar Binks of uh, of that of that film, but just took audiences by just storm. You couldn't get away from him. So uh, that's what I had, and it's my category. So I'm going to give it to the PGA Championship. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good good pick. And last one, Person of the Year. This is in the Time Magazine style. Uh, however you want to, uh, however you want to take it, Kev, you you kick it off. Person of the Year. Uh Gosh, I mean, I actually decided on Phil Mickelson as the person of the year <laughs> because whoa, just remained like the most you know uh, volatile. Like, I mean, finished second in the Masters. That's what I kind of wanted to acknowledge first of all. Is like even amidst all this chaos and craziness, he managed to play an unbelievable round of golf. I think he shot seven under uh, that final day to finish eight under in total. Uh, you know. Say what you will about Phil, but the motherfucker is pretty good at golf. And on that course, he probably, you know, will that maybe that's the last gasp of Phil ever being great at Augusta, but maybe not. Like maybe he'll have a round someday at 58, whatever, like Jack did, and he's in the mix. And, you know, he continued to be a huge Twitter troll, you know, taking shots at everybody, me included. Uh, you know, he he's just a if you look at it, the very strict definition of like person of the year, not man of the year, like it's not an honorary thing. For whatever reason, I did, I just landed on like he remains this sort of you know volatile, interesting, weird, fascinating, sometimes funny, sometimes dickish figure. So shout out to you, Phil. I'm sure you're not listening, but uh, thanks for all the content over the years. Solly, um, I, I I struggle with this one, and it may not be popular one. I I have a feeling it'll get lost a, a bit to history as it goes. You know, he was a, a part of the losing side on the PGA Tour side, but person of the year, person who just uh, you know didn't make didn't put every foot right, didn't make all the right decisions, but uh, took leadership in a uh, in a in something he he believed in, right? As far as supporting professional golf, that's Rory Jay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rory uh, McElmore. Yeah, he ended up leaving the board. Like <laughs> what he tried to do to to save professional golf over the last couple of years made him pretty unpopular with a lot of people, players and fans alike. And I really do think it was coming from a really good place in terms of what he believed was best for fans, like what he believed mm-hmm. is best for golf fans. That kind of culminated in like him sharing your article, KVV, from 
from a couple of weeks ago, like just mm-hmm. ripping pro-, pro golf for how it's treated fans. It's like if you just listen to like how he's talked about it, he's talked about making the sport more entertaining for people. And he tried his absolute best up against the Saudi public investment fund and the mules and he lost. And it's uh, losing with dignity. No, yeah, it's not going to there's not going to be like a glorious book written about how he he saved professional golf. But the dude fought for it really, really hard. He could have been way more out for himself than he was. And he finally had enough of, of the structure of it and, and walked away from from it all, but uh, gave a hell of an effort when like they needed that so freaking badly. If the Delaware meeting never happens, like who knows like what the, sh- the shaping of, I, we still don't know what the shaping of professional golf looks like, but uh, it, it could have gone way, way, way worse. And uh, that's Roy would be my, my person of the year. I'm a fanboy. I don't care who knows it. There was, a, there's a lot to that, to, 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 to that answer. Well, I'm sure that the fact that I nominated Phil and you nominated Roy, that mine won't get caught like aggregated at all by certain people. It'll just be yours. So thanks for that. Well, there, there won't be any like uh, addressing that we attempted to some balance in this discussion. I think you could make a pretty strong case for for Yasser as a person of the year in golf. Yeah. Uh, I think you could make a similar case for Jay as person of the year in golf. Uh, what does person I, of the year mean? Cause I always thought it meant like, it's like kind of the biggest admire. newsmaker, like okay. the most impactful, positive yeah. or negative, most impactful. Person. That's a common misperception. So based on the fact that people always bring this up, that Hitler was named person of the year uh, by time magazine, like way back in the day. And like Trump was person of the year. Just there's your ago. headline for how Phil ended up person of the year. KBV yeah. compares <laughs> Phil to Hitler. <laughs> Well, I didn't want to bring that up. I assume you knew the infamous uh, Hitler thing. No, I, I mean, it is like just newsmaker of the oh, year. Oh, that's blocky. Yeah, that's Let's move on. Yeah. yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. No, uh, blocky, blocky is on my list. Ultimately, it's uh, blocky. For man of the year. But I think it says a lot. If you're looking at it like on paper, it would be shocking to me that it's not John Rahm. The dude won four times. He won the Masters. He signed the deal that may have like brought golf back together. And the fact that it that's not the first person on the tip of our tongues, I feel like just kind of shows this weird disconnect where people just don't connect with John Rahm for some reason that I, I don't really know what it is, right? And like he he's maybe the best player on the planet, right? He is won the most visible, famous tournament. He balled out at the Ryder Cup. He signed with Liv. He did all of these things that are like, dude, he's he's the guy. He's the newsmaker of the year. And the fact that he's not top of mind ever is just startling to me. And it goes back to a lot of a lot of what Randy says. I think he just doesn't do it for a lot of people. And I I don't know why. And that's endlessly fascinating to me. But ultimately, I think he he's my vote. John Rom. And the iron I Rom does it for me. Like I think he's I've always thought he's awesome. Like great to talk to, great to listen to, uh, just a great kind of uh like model professional. And, but it's hard to like view everything that's happened over the past week. And like, again, kind of back to what drove it for me of like Rom had zero leadership during any of this, like was fine to just go along for the ride. And at the very last second, when, you know, several years into the war, switch sides over to the other team and help sway the, the fight to the other side, like, Look, is that newsworthy for sure? Like if, if that, if that's kind of your model of the answer, then it's the Rom's definitely the answer, but uh, it's pretty hard to ignore that that final part of just changing jerseys at the very end. And uh, uh, it's like, yeah, it's like getting traded to uh, or like getting signed to the playoff roster of uh, of a baseball team and uh, and claiming a World Series win. Those guys are sick. I love when guys do that. Uh, all right. Anybody, anybody else? Anybody want to want to cast a, a final vote? 
based on that, or are we going to just have a three-way stalemate? I think Tri- it's like, there's no, no better way than a three-way stalemate here to end this pod as we <laughs> wait for the, the PIF and the PGA Tour and the SSG to, to get this uh, finalized. All right. That is it. Long episode for the PNC recap where we barely talked about the PNC, but uh, I had to put a bow on a lot of things from this past year. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We will have more episodes before the year is over, but I don't know if we're going to all get together uh, and shoot the shit like we have done on all of these Sundays. Uh, if you can leave us, leave us a review in the uh, iTunes store, Spotify store. I, I usually ask maybe once a year that people do that. Uh, if you're looking for other ways to support uh, no laying up, you can of course join the nest. Where can people mm-hmm. find that DJ? Uh, I believe it's nolangup.com slash join. That is exactly right. I forgot what it was. That's why I asked you. Uh, but a uh, lot of offerings there. It's basically kind of our uh, our membership platform. You get access to a message board. You get 15% off uh, in the pro shop. Plus, you get access to limited inventory. There's Nest exclusive merchandise. There's a monthly member podcast. There's giveaways. There's an annual gift. Uh, there's access, early access to events. Uh, and we're hoping to really throw some gasoline on this in the coming year. And uh, so if you're looking for a way to, to join the show or to support the show and all we do here, nolangup.com slash join and a lot more information you can find there. I was so. going to say, we just had our, our, our annual offsite meeting with the whole staff. We, the, the nest might be the person of the year in 2024. Mm, that, that, that might be the goal. We might be, we might be taking it to the next steal level. steal the show. Kind of like, <laughs> like that 2006 person of the year was just everyone on the planet. Just you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. You. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will see you uh, in the new year. Cheers. 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 Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.